So as you saw today, we're going to be in Luke once again. Our series is on joining Jesus at the dinner table. We have to look into some of the historical aspects of the story to understand some of the things that are happening here. Because we see three individuals who are highlighted in this story. We see Jesus, we see Simon the Pharisee, and we see this woman. And how is it this happens? How can this woman get to Jesus? You see, the Pharisee, Simon, wouldn't have invited her to his house, yet she's here. In fact, we know that this Pharisee wouldn't have invited this sinner to the house because uh, that would never happen. And yet, she's here. How did she get into the house, and why is she allowed to be there without someone escorting her out? Like, nope, nope, you're not okay. It's time for you to leave. How is it that this happens? Well, see, during this time, the house of well-to-do people was kind of shaped like a square, and in the middle was a courtyard that was open to the air. And this is where a lot of evening meals were had in the warmer days. And, and the meals during this time were a lot like other places. You, you had a table down here. And you kind of laid out in, in a leisurely place. And this kind of sets our stage this morning for this whole situation. Because I want, to see, I want you to see the intimacy of this scene. I mean, having a meal with somebody is in a way more intimate than going out to a dinner with somebody, right? Inviting them into your house means that you are in a more intimate location than that. And then there's this idea of laying down and leisurely having a conversation with this person. And then we will dive deeper into this understanding of intimacy as we go along. But I want to kind of set that stage for us this morning, this idea of this intimate location. And here we have this house kind of in this place, and the courtyard is, is this place where there's a garden, and that's where people would eat and have their meals. And it was custom at that time, whenever a rabbi especially was at your house for a meal, that you would kind of leave it open and let people come and go into your house because you never know what little pearls of wisdom would kind of fall out of his mouth as he spoke. And so people would want to be around and hear that. And especially with this guy, he's this new upstart rabbi on the scene who's performing miracles. That's a big deal. A lot of people wanted to see this guy. And he's doing weird things like having dinner with sinners. In fact, the verse right before this, it's talking about Jesus saying, hey, all of you have accused me about being a glutton and that I meal with sinners. And then I love the fact that it starts off with, and so Simon the Pharisee invited him for a meal. Sinner. And then Pharisee. Yep, yep, that works. <laughs> that works because not right, righteous person. No, we're going to see today just how sinful Simon actually is. So this is why today the woman was allowed in Simon's house and to get so close to Jesus. She'd come in with all the other people. And so we have a task, we have to ask, 
What else is going on in this passage? As we begin to kind of set the scene, we we see that this woman is crying and kneeling and washing Jesus' feet with her tears. Why is she washing his feet? I know you've probably heard this story. If you've spent any time in church, you've heard this story. And so you probably know that to answer this, we have to look at the customs of the day. When a guest entered one of these fancy houses, three things happened. First, the host would place his hands on the person's shoulders and kiss them, either on the head or on the cheek, into what is called the, the kiss of peace. It was a shine, a mark of respect, and it was never omitted when a distinguished guest like a rabbi came in. Never. It was something you had to do. The second, during this time, the roads were dusty paths and the shoes were simple sandals. And so you got dirt all over your feet. And so the customary thing was to have a bowl of water or a servant to wash the dust off so that they were at least somewhat clean. This is also nice for you because you didn't have clean or dirty feet come into your house. I don't know about you, but I've got six kids and two dogs. It is amazing how much dirt comes in the house even when you've got grass. It's amazing. And so that was one of the things. Always a cool water to cleanse their feet and to offer comfort. And then the third was there is either a pinch of sweet-smelling incense that was burnt or a drop of, of like an essence of rose was placed on the guest's head. And all of these things were considered good manners. And in this case, none of them were done. None of them were done. And so that kind of sets our stage. We have Simon, the Pharisee, inviting Jesus into his house, who, by the way, is not one of those sinners, but still invites Jesus to his house. And they just accuse him that Jesus only eats with sinners. It's interesting. We have this woman who we will find out is just horrible reputation. She's a sinner. She's one of those sinners. And then we have Jesus. Let's start by taking a look at the guy named Simon. We know he's a Pharisee. So what do we know about him because of this? First, he's political. The position of Pharisee was one of the ruling class. So he'd be seen as a friend of the important people. And this may give us a little bit of understanding as to why he invited Jesus into his house. You see, while Jesus and the Pharisees were often at odds with each other, we can see in other passages like Luke chapter 31, or Luke chapter 13, verse 31, that sometimes they weren't at odds with each other. In fact, in that passage, Jesus is warned that Herod is looking for him by Pharisees or Pharisees, I'm sorry, by Pharisees. And so we can see that there's some things there. So what is the political aspect of Simon that is causing him to go, hey, maybe I should get involved with this guy named Jesus. Maybe I should have something to do with him. Well, let's see. Why would somebody who was political try to get somebody who's new on the scene and seems to be popular on his side. Simon is a collector of celebrity. 
he goes, hey, you know what? Why not get this new upstart Jewish rabbi kid and get him on my side? Because as he grows in popularity, I'll be the power behind the man, as it were. And that becomes Simon's test. And we can see that because he, he actually performs this test on Jesus. In the passage, he sees this you know, woman bathing his feet and crying over him and all of this stuff. And he, he says in his thoughts, if this guy was really who he says he is, then he would know who this woman is and would not allow her to touch him. That... So maybe he isn't who he says he is. Maybe he doesn't have what it is. You can see the thought, right? He's going, man, okay, maybe I can hitch my wagon to this guy and gain a little bit of power and some prestige in this world. Oh, man, why is he letting her touch him like that? Maybe he isn't all that. You can see the test. You can see it. It's this half this thing that he's got going on. And with a half patronizing contempt, he invites Jesus to this meal in a way of kind of getting him on his side. And yet he even has some respect for him in a way. He calls him teacher in this, but yet there's still this omission of the usual courtesies that's shown to other people. And so you can kind of see how he's going, maybe I want to be a part of this. Maybe I want to have him in my wife, but I'm not going to show him too much preference because if I don't, then I can be like, no, I was just, you know, I invited him over, but it wasn't a big thing, right? He wants to have him in there, kind of start the process, but keep him at an arm's distance. We'll keep him over here. He wants to collect him. He wants to do that, but maybe not yet. He's trying to see if this person who appears to perform miracles actually is some kind of prophet. Next, the third character, we have this woman who saw that Jesus was not being addressed as an honored guest like he should be. Then this is why she decides to wash his feet. In today's passage, we can see that she had brought with her an alabaster jar of perfume. And it's because of this that some people believe that she was, in fact, a prostitute. I, I want to point out that it doesn't say it in Scripture. It doesn't say it at all in Scripture. But we have kind of placed this idea on her. Maybe she was just an incredibly sinful woman in other ways, just came from a wealthy family and was left alone in society. And the last little bit of wealth she had was the inheritance of this incredibly expensive perfume wrapped around her on a chain on her neck. And yet, here she is. She's performing these customs for customary greetings for Jesus because she's seeing it not happen. She'd seen in Jesus the person who could lift her up from the depths of her sin. She'd seen the contrast of her life against his. And she may even have also seen what had happened a few chapters before when Jesus chose the worst sinners to be his disciple. She knew that redemption was available through the words and actions of this man. This separation, it caused her to cry. 
And with her tears, she honored Jesus. And there is an intimacy in this action. See, I told you we'd get back to some more intimacy. There's an intimacy in this action of this woman because there's two things that happen. One, she touched his feet, right? We in society, we have this understanding of, of space. You know, there's, there's corporate space. Everybody's in the space in the world around me. And then as you get closer, we start getting into like friend acquaintance space. You allow people to get closer to you that you know and are familiar with. And then you get closer still. And then there's what we call intimate space. This is what reserved for close family and even closer still for your loved ones. And then even more closer is the actual touching of you. In fact, this issue with touching is something that we in the EMS world have to like cause people to think about. How many of you have ever taken a CPR class in your life? Ever ever taken a CPR class? Yeah? One of the things that we realized in this world, this is not in my notes, but I think it's important for you to hear, is we as a society have taught one thing. It's not okay to touch strangers, right? And yet in the EMS world, in the medical world, that's exactly what you have to do. You have to get past that intimacy barrier to save somebody's life. You have to touch them in one of the most intimate places in the world, their face, right? And one of the funniest things that I have to say about touching other people is the idea of touching feet. If you ask teenagers today if they're willing to do a foot washing service, I can tell you without a doubt the answer is going to be, ugh, that's disgusting. And yet, we have this woman, and yes, it's a different society than ours. It's it's somewhat different of the, the cultural norms, but she takes down her hair, which is considered one of the most intimate things a woman can do back then. She takes down her hair, and she's wiping her feet, or his feet, with her hair. There's intimacy there. She wants Jesus to know something in that action, that she understands his importance. She gets it. Maybe Simon doesn't get it, but she gets it. She knew that redemption was available through the words and actions of this man. This separation caused her to cry. In those tears, she honored Jesus. And she, she unbound her hair to wipe his feet. I wonder how many times have we felt this way. Feeling that we are separated from Christ. And, and in the moment of drawing close to him, we feel that discrepancy so much more. The discrepancy between the holy of Christ and the unholy of us in our actions. Sometimes it's easy for us to put ourselves in that place. Yet, just like Simon, sometimes it's not. So let's look at that. We'll look at the response of these two people in the presence of Jesus. For Simon, he felt he had no need for forgiveness. Simon was conscious of no need and therefore felt no love and so received no forgiveness. He didn't really care about who this Jesus was and what it meant because in his own eyes and his own heart, he was right. I am righteous. 
I do all the things I have to do. I go to synagogue. I go to church. I sit in that pew, and I clap my hands on two and four, and I sing those songs really loudly, and I, I am a good Christian. Wait, no, Pharisee. That's right. I'm a good Pharisee. How many of us can put ourselves in the place of Simon today? How many of us can look at our life and say, well, I'm a good person. I do what I'm supposed to. I, I've accepted Christ when I was a kid. I read my Bible every now and then. I pray maybe once a day. But how many of us truly remember what it was like sometimes to need that forgiveness offered by Christ? Simon's impression of himself was that he was a good man in the sight of, of men and of God. So he felt there was nothing Jesus could offer him except to be a famous person in his house. Simon's feelings towards this woman echo the feelings of another Pharisee told in Luke chapter 18. When the Pharisee looked at the tax collector and he says in the, in the prayer in the temple, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Simon's heart was the same as this unnamed Pharisee. I'm glad I'm not as bad as them. Thank you. Yet for this woman, she had no awareness of anything except her need. And therefore was overwhelmed with her love for Jesus who could supply the answer for her need and so received forgiveness. You could see almost blindly she focused on Simon's rudeness and cavalier attitude toward Jesus that she just pushed her way into to Jesus to perform the duties that Simon had neglected. She was like, no, this is not going to take place. I am going to go to this person. I am going to offer him what is not being offered to him, and I will surrender this, my dignity, in front of this person and in front of everybody. You know, there's a band. Some of you may know David Crowder Band, right? Anybody know David Crowder Band? On his very first CD, there was a song. It was the last song on the CD, and I love this song. It's called Undignified. I will sing. I will dance. I will be undignified before Christ. And I wonder sometimes if our dignity gets in the way of us worshiping at the feet of Jesus. wonder sometimes if we think that we are so righteous like Simon that we forget to be the undignified person who just needs grace, who needs that forgiveness, who is desperate for that forgiveness. The last time I was up here, I told you a heartbreaking story about where I was in my life. I wasn't going to go here, but I feel like I have to. This summer, I'm being undignified today. This summer has been rough. It's been so very rough. I know that a lot of you have been praying for all of us as we went to NYC. I know a lot of you have been praying for my teens and for me as I went to camp. 
But I have to tell you something. God met me at NYC and at camp in this last weekend at the call conference. I, would, I wasn't here last weekend, and there's something I meant to tell you real quick. Jump off, jump off this one. Jump over here. Follow me with me. Sorry, this is the way my brain works sometimes. I wasn't here last week. Some of you noticed. I was at the call conference at Northwest Nazarene University, which is an amazing conference put on by the NYI Northwest Field. So all of the districts of Alaska, Washington Pacific, Oregon, Northwest, Intermountain, Rocky Mountain districts, okay? And it's a great time to take junior high, or juniors and seniors in high school and young adults who feel like they might have a call in their life from God and help them kind of orient to that to try to figure it out. And I got to go with my daughter. How awesome is that? And I'm at a call conference. I've got a call on my life, right? I'm up here doing this, which is scary. I've got a call in my life. And yet God met me at the call. He met me at camp. He met me at NYC. I was sitting in NYC and I was... I was, we were worshiping, and we were singing songs like, where you go, I'll go, and you'll never call me and leave me, and I couldn't sing those songs. I was broken. I'm a youth pastor, surrounded by 10,000 other people, and I can't sing the songs about following God where he wants me to go, because I'm afraid. I was terrified of saying, yes. Man, when I was a teenager and didn't understand what pain felt like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I'd sing those days all the time. But all of you heard my story last time I was up here preaching. It's scary to say yes. I didn't want any more lemons in my life. So I sat there. Instead of singing, I cried every single time. I wanted, I wanted to say those, those words. I wanted them to be true. I wanted to be, I wanted to sing them from my heart. God, I'll go where you send me. You've never left me. Yeah. For eight years, I felt like he left me. I know that he didn't because I know who God is theologically, but in my spirit, in my emotions, he abandoned me. Then I went to camp, a broken individual. And God met me there through the person of my mentor's wife. My mentor in high school, Chris Ryder's wife was there, and she was our speaker, Cherie Ryder. And she's like, David, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad to see you. And I said, same, I need a pastor. She's like, what? I know you just got here, but we need to go have a talk. And I started telling her my story, and she goes, I want you to share this story on Thursday night. And I said, Thursday night, you want me to share how I'm a broken person to a bunch of teenagers? And she goes, yeah. And Cherie's got this thing for names. She really, really thinks it's important that you understand your, what your name means. Because often what we're named actually affects who we are. I don't know if you realize that or not, but it, for me, it's true. 
And she goes, there's power sometimes in understanding what your name means because it's something you don't give yourself. Somebody gives it to you, and yet there is something amazing when you know what your name means because you can lean on it. My name is David. My name I've known for a long time means beloved. Okay? And I tell you all of this because she goes, I'm going to give you this time to talk to you and tell your story, but you get three minutes. Anybody have a problem? Anybody see a problem with that? Anybody at all? Hey, pastor, I want you to tell a story and you got to keep it to three minutes. Have you ever met a pastor who could do that? No. And so I went, all right, well, that's good. Thank since I've only got three minutes, give me an understanding where you're going with this so I can at least guide my story to kind of land somewhere in the field that you want to take it. And she goes, okay, we're going to be talking about Elijah in the cave. Okay, I remember that story. And I started reading in context. So I started a couple chapters back just to remind myself why Elijah was in his cave. And I read one of my most favorite passage of scripture, Elijah, the battle of Mount Carmel in this awesome moment. Woo! Yeah! God! Woo! And then immediately runs off and hides. And I went, I understand that. I get that. And as I get to the passage of scripture about Elijah sitting there in his, in his cave, as I'm coming to the passage of scripture she's going to use, I hear God in my voice and he says, David, in this moment, your name is no longer David. It is Elijah. And these words are for you. And I said, where have you been? Eight years, nothing. And now all of a sudden I'm hearing your voice again. Where have you been? He said, read. I said, okay. And I'm reading. And a messenger of God came to Elijah sitting in his cave in the darkness. And he said to him, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, why are you here? That was his answer. Why are you here? And Elijah's answer, or his question, Elijah's answer is, I'm alone. She's killed everybody else. I'm by myself. I've got nothing left, and I'm scared, and I'm tired, and I'm going, yep, understand those words. I get it. And he says, God's going to meet with you tonight. Cool. And that night, there's a terrible storm. Wind roared in, enough to break the rocks, but God wasn't in the wind. There was thunder and lightning, huge, noisy storm. And God wasn't in the thunder and lightning. And then there was an earthquake and rocks were rolling off the mountains, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a whisper. And God was in the whisper. And he said to Elijah, sitting in his cave, why are you here? Elijah goes back into his pity party. I'm afraid. I'm terrified. She's killed everybody. I've got nothing left. I've done everything you've asked me to do, and here I am running for my life all by myself alone. And God said, you have no idea. You have no idea. No idea. I've got 7,000 waiting in the wings, ready to go. I just need you to move. I need you to go. 
And I said, okay, God, I get it. I get it. Thanks for whispering into my life this morning. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. And I left camp, and I was healing, and I was feeling better. And I went to the call conference, and we had this amazing speaker. You guys ever get the opportunity to talk to Pastor McGuire over in the Grandview area? Do it. Every speaker at the call conference just shared their story of their call. And he shared his story about how he'd, he'd been shot at and paralyzed and God had healed him miraculously and all of these things going on and yet he still ran away from God and he still all the stuff and finally God got a hold of him and he's just willing to say yes just willing to say yes. And then you find the stories about how he went to Mexico to do the work that he's doing, and he's been shot and pistol whipped. And and I'm going, and I'm afraid to say yes to take on a church. And they gave us a journal, and in my journal I got to write, I am not afraid. I was a broken individual. I was Simon. Honestly, I walked in thinking, I'm good. And I found myself the woman in this story, broken at the feet of Jesus. I told you there is intimacy in this story, and there's another person that you need to see the intimacy for, and that is Simon. Did you know in the whole book of Luke, there's only two times that Jesus speaks somebody else's name? And this is one of them. And instead of rebuking Simon in the midst of this, this horrible way to introduce himself to Jesus and Jesus into what's going on in the world, he says to him, he looks at him and says, Simon, let me tell you a story. He tells him this story. He's saying, look, you've been forgiven too. And every possibility and right, Jesus could have rebuked Simon then and there. But he doesn't. He says, his, he says his name, Simon. And it tells a story about two people getting forgiven. Two people. There's one thing that shuts us off from God. It's our self-sufficiency. And the strange thing is that the better we are, the more we feel our own sin. Paul speaks of sinners as of whom I am the worst, he says in 1 Timothy. And St. Francis of Assisi would say, there is nowhere a more wretched and more miserable sinner than I. And it is true to say that the greatest of sins is to be conscious of no sin. But a sense of need will open the door to the forgiveness of God. Because God is love, and love's greatest glory is to be needed. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace. Lord, that you are a wonderful, loving Father. And though sometimes we are the woman crying at your feet, broken, desperate for you, sometimes we find ourselves the Simon sitting in our perceived righteousness, not understanding that we are, in fact, broken and needing your forgiveness and your grace. 
Lord, as we are wrapping up our service today, we ask that you make this so abundantly clear in our lives when we need to be called out for that Simon attitude. Lord, break us today. And instead of seeing this, the sinful around us at the table as some gross, disgusting creature, Lord, instead of that, remind us not only of their need for grace, but ours. In your most precious name we pray. Amen.